the greater our knowledge increases, the more our ignorance unfolds. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This cool leads us to our guest today, Ben Bigot. I got connected with Ben through previous podcast guest, Brady Volvering. And if you guys have been following kind of our journey and listen to that podcast, you understand how deeply him and I geeked out. And whenever he recommended somebody, I was for sure going to hop on what Ben had. And this podcast really was another rabbit hole of upgrading humans. And I, I we talk, we've talked about that in the previous episodes and a lot of episodes coming up, but it's it's truly something that I, I think is undervalued. How can we upgrade the human body, the, the human spirit, the human mind, and really try to create superheroes, do things that we really didn't think were possible with the body previously. And that's mentally, that's physically. And as Coach Ben will talk about today, he talks about the intention that goes behind it. One of, one of my favorite quotes of the podcast today was he was saying these people are doing these ISOs and they're doing their ISOs on their phone. And he's like, that eliminates the entire purpose of what that ISO is doing. Sure, you get the physical benefits, but you're missing the entire connection of everything and the leveling up of everything holistically. And that is something that Ben does a really nice job of explaining of he, he's not in the woo-woo world of not lifting heavy weight. He comes from a very West side background, similar to myself. And he really understands what it takes to get to that next level, to, to, to really push, to really unlock. And if you, if you watch some of his athletes, and this is something that I really love, the throwing world, you, you see some of his athletes do just insane things. Um, you have you have some of these pictures that he was showing on some of his Instagram pic, uh, videos where their arms are bent almost like backwards. It, it's crazy some of the things that they're able to do. And it's just a holistic development of these athletes. And then they step on their field of play and they have this huge foundation, this huge physical development, and they just ball out. He has, he has athletes hitting 100 mile an hour fastballs left and right. And that is something that I really think we need to value in this field more. And I, I, I love this conversation and just hearing Ben's kind of story to how he got to the thought process that he's currently at. So took a ton of notes. Want to thank you guys for listening. Let's do it. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF Nutrition and Lifestyle Guidelines, That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. All right, Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. What's going on? We uh, we kind of had a couple mix-ups. This, they kept blocking our emails in between each other, kept trying to take make this from uh, or stop this from happening, but we, we yes. finally got on the mics. We're ready to roll. It's got to be the Stanford snobby email that 
they're not ready for your grit. Yeah, exactly. They see Yoakum swinging. No, no, we're blocking that. <laughs> uh, but we got you on. I'm excited to dive in. We're going to talk some rotational athletes. We're going to talk some spinal engine today, hopefully, and kind of get into that building some badass rotational humans. But I want to start with, and I love talking to coaches about this with like kind of your background. How did you get to the thought process that you have today? Because we, I talked to you about it before the podcast started, but like everybody seems to like, you kind of have to go the CSCS route. You kind of have to go like a traditional route in some sense to kind of get your foot in the door, but then you, you always see coaches expand from that. And I'm always interested in how coaches do that. So I'd love to hear your kind of background and how you got to where you're at. Yeah, I'll give you, I think I'm, I mean, I'm pretty proud of my story for, for what it is right now. And I think where it's going. So I'll just kind of give you the whole rundown. So in high school, I, I came into high school as a freshman, uh, held back in middle school. So I was a little behind the eight ball in terms of, uh, physical maturity. Um, but good athlete growing up, played all the sports every, every season was playing something, maybe two sports, uh, loved, loved having a ball and then got into, got into high school and just sat down with my dad, super type a super goal driven. Um, and I was like, you know what? I want to play division one of college baseball. Like I want to play in the big leagues. That's what I want to do. I don't just want to like mess around. Like we sat down, kind of developed a little plan. And one of the big things was like, look, you've you got to have certain metrics. Like you've got to throw this velocity. You got to be able to hit the ball this hard. You got to be this fast. Um, same with football. Like I was a, I was a good football player. I want to play football, but I just realized, I think my ceiling was much higher in baseball than it would be football. Um, we kind of went around where I was from looking at a lot of different training stuff, kind of did your, sort of working hard youths type of stuff where you see these kids doing these like cone drills and all this just kind of nonsense, like speed work, just kind of nonsense. Finally, uh, I caved and was like, you know what? I heard of this guy. His name's Jared Bidney, explosive mechanics. I was like, I heard a, a few guys had some pretty big results and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go try it out. Showed up halfway through freshman year. Um, and it freshman was your high school or college freshman year of high school. So okay. show up this guy's gym and it is just kind of a dungeon. It's, there's nothing on there. It's just rock hard ground. There's no AC, there's no heat. Um, it's just like six power racks, a couple, uh, where they platforms, a tread sled, a little turf area and a couple jump mats and then some dumbbells and show up not sure what's going to happen at all. We bench max. I benched 135. We back squat max. I squatted 185. Um, I don't think we deadlifted, but I, I remember running. A, I mean, he had legit. We ran legit laser 40s at a five, ran a five, six and jumped the 22 inch vertical um, and just decided to dive in. He had a, he had a stepson. He had three stepsons. Uh, they were all about my age. The one was older, the oldest one. Uh, he was squatting like 500 pounds, benching mid fours and 40 inch vertical, four or five laser freak. Um, and all, doing all this at about a buck 65, a buck 75, just shredded. Just, I mean, unreal. So you're walking around and you're like, you see these guys jumping out of the gym and it's just, you walk in, you get after about five really heavy sets of a main exercise and then you get some accessory work and supply metrics and then you get out like you're not huffing and puffing uh you weren't you weren't even sweating in the winter because it's cold and there's no heat uh 
maybe you are dying on the, this tread slide that we have. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's, it's pretty much just a 15 second max out sprint is what we're doing. And I just started, I just was consistent with it. It was just the whole, uh, not a huge, huge, uh, what would you call it? A huge acute spike, but it was more just building bricks at a time. And I think I just fell in love with the process of working with him. I mean, he, he was brilliant. He's for sure. Number one on my mentor list. So worked with him all of high school, went from, uh, uh, barely touching 80 as high school freshman to being a high school junior with a 330 plus bench box squatting 400 something pounds running a four, seven laser 40 without ever even running ever, like without doing any sprint work. Jumping at 37, 38 inch vertical in high school at 205 pounds with, and I was kind of, I mean, I was pretty thick. I was, I was kind of heavy. I was kind of fat. <laughs> so just like up to 93, 94 in high school, just low, low 90s. Um, and I just accredited it all to just going in and just getting after it day after day. Like I, I stayed consistent with it, is what it was. And then I think over time, I really fell in love with the whole process of that stuff. So in high school, I just went into this powerlifting gym, football training type stuff, and just got after it. And so he kind of has taught me the most. I combined that with I, I, I got intrigued. My dad actually found out about like the Texas Baseball Ranch, uh, and they took like a they were the one of the first ones that took like a non conventional approach to to training pitchers. So it was like, all right, to be a better pitcher, you first have to become a better thrower, right? It's kind of like just to, to be a better pitcher. You got to be a better athlete. You got to be a better thrower. Um, so got into that stuff and it was almost the same thing. We thought about it as like, quote unquote, weight training for pitchers, um, for their arms. So it was different weighted ball stuff. Um, the idea was to move more efficiently to keep you one healthy and two to throw, uh, throw harder. Obviously the more efficient you move, the better energy transfer you have, uh, ball's going to come out faster. So combine those two, and those really, I think because I saw so much of an increase in like ability, that's why I fell in love with it. And so I felt like I was never the guy or the kid who was like naturally the best athlete. I was really good at like sports. Like I was, I'd be like a, your best PE player, but I wouldn't be the fastest. I wouldn't be able to get off the ground. Um, so I think seeing those changes really was the first thing that like really motivated me. So great high school career. Um, and then end of my senior year, I ended up breaking my foot. Uh, I had a Jones fracture in my left foot. So what that is, is there's like a, there's a special area in the last foot bone where the veins kind of split off on the bone. And so the break was right in between them. And so it gets like no blood flow. And that ended up costing me about a year. I was on crutches for an entire year. Um, so for my senior year of high school, I graduated on crutches, didn't get off crutches until uh, mid-April of my freshman year of college. So I was on crutches my entire college freshman year. And then, I mean, you don't walk for a year and just watch how much that messes up the rest of your, uh, who would have thought. And that cost me probably another six months to come back from. So didn't end up coming back till halfway through my sophomore year um, with that injury. So that was tough. That was the first big thing. Um, but that really, so this goes into the whole, I'd say challenge kind of like what defines me is. So I missed that, that year. Um, so you miss 
most of your, I missed most of my sophomore year until like right before the season was able to come out. But like you're in college, you're playing division one sport. You don't get to miss six months and think you're going to come in with 15 really, really, really good other guys and think you're just going to get in. So that pretty much cost me that year going to my junior year. I'm ready to go. I'm feeling good and throwing hard, just fully rehabbed. I think continue to just dive, dive, dive deeper, deeper into the training. Like you get injured and that's what, what kind of sparks. It seems like for guys they get hurt and they get, they get more invested. So that's what happened to me. I got hurt, got more invested, just worked harder. Um, so right before the season starts my junior year, I am training at home, did a little shutdown period. So I'm coming back from throwing. We're having a throw. We're having a VLO contest at home uh, at our facility. There's a bunch of dudes there. It's just guys getting after it. And I am throwing the piss out of the ball. I mean, I'm like shuffling 101, 102. I'm like, dude, I'm, I might throw 100 this year and get too antsy, um, throw a ball that's like a tied for a facility record, like an underload ball decide to get greedy and, and make some extra throws. And I ended up uh, tearing my UCL in my throwing elbow. So right before the season starts at home, I tear my elbow. I go to school. I have to tell them. I mean, I, I ended up telling them and told them what happened. And I wouldn't, I would say I was kind of misdiagnosed. I was a little misdiagnosed at school, a uh, little recurring trend as well. Um, but I end up getting like a PRP injection. They're just hope, hoping like, look, hope you don't have to go under the knife for Tommy John. Like try to avoid it at all costs. Um, so I spend my entire February through May for three, four months doing your basic rehab, then return to throwing type of programs. Um, just for at the very beginning of May on like my first kind of high intensity, full hundred percent day. I throw a ball and it just like was just a knife right in the elbow. And I was like, oh, this is it's over. Like I'm I'm done. End up going, going back to the doc. Like everyone's like, all right, yeah, it's it's I mean, you're gonna have to get surgery, like it's torn. Um, end up having surgery. So missed that whole year without even having surgery, just to have surgery at the end of the year. <clears throat> then that proceeds to take me until about I'd say about like beginning of February, I'm throwing full speed. I'm finally back to full speed throwing um, hundred percent and was able to, was make, made it back full speed in about eight, nine months in terms of like being able to throw at hundred percent, but had a lot of pain, like in terms of, I think some, a lot of nerve complications with the surgery. So a bunch of pain. I mean, I, I could get up and throw a pen or th throw a high intensity day, whatever, but it would take me a good two weeks to, to be able to throw again. Like I'd, I'd swell up afterwards and my hand would swell up, my elbow would swell up and I'd be, I'd be done for like a week and then I could get another week. And, and I don't think our coaching staff really understood it very well. Um, I mean, they, they got a bunch of other guys. I mean, they're trying to win. So like there are plenty of other guys who can, who can do it for them. And so, especially, especially having kind of the, his, like having a foot injury that costs you a year and a half missing the whole next year. Cause you blow out your elbow training. And then you didn't even have, you couldn't have surgery until after. And then you're missing now. It's just like, we need you back. We need you back. And then I ended up, I ended up touching 97 in my first pen back or my first bullpen back. It was about a week. It was about two weeks, uh, two weeks about before the season started. So first real bullpen 97. And they, everyone's like, dude, you're back. Like it's it. You're going to the game. 
So I've thrown throw another bullpen. So I've thrown two bullpens at this point, and it's like you're back. Like, and I haven't thrown no. I haven't refined the skill. I can't even move my arm the day after I throw, and I end up. I'm, I go first series and get thrown. I get thrown in the end of a what was it like a ten run game last game of the weekend. I can't feel a thing. Like I haven't pitched since my senior. I haven't pitched since. It was about, I think I did the math. It was over a thousand days. It was, it was about, it was almost four years. Um, could not feel, could not feel my legs, could not feel the ball. Um, luckily my arm didn't hurt cause it couldn't feel it. But I remember on the plane ride, I was like, there's no way I'm be able to play catch all weekend. My arm hurts so bad. And I go out and I think I walked two straight. I'd like, I walked the first guy in four straight balls, walked the next guy. I got him three, two. So I, I credit that, but then I walked him and got pulled. And I was, I was so, I was in the dumps. I mean, it's just like, I don't know how you react to that. So I, uh, I think a couple, a couple weeks later, it just, my elbow had had enough. Like it'd been pushed too far, too fast. So I, I was swollen up for like four weeks. So of course you miss four weeks of throwing, they're going to give you another four weeks to get back. And that was the season. So that's my four years of Stanford baseball summed up. Um, I was able to get, I was able to kind of clear up after the year and kind of start getting after it, but I had the same issues of the nerve, just lingering nerve issues, which we found out was just some nerve tension, but nobody had addressed it. So, um, go in, I actually, I have a, one of my best friends ended up getting, uh, getting a coaching job at a D2 school, um, Florida Southern powerhouse D2 school. And I, I was going to end up transferring to like Duke or Coastal Carolina were like my top two. That's where I, that's where I was thinking. Um, I thought the pitching coaches were they, – they understood development. I thought they were – they knew what they were doing. And then my buddy was like, dude, you, you should come down here. Like, we're legit. Like, we have we have the resources. Like, you can do what you want. You can do all this development stuff. You can do what you – like, you can kind of – you can train yourself and coach yourself. And that was, that was really, really uh, appealing to me, I guess, because given – being hurt for four years, I did nothing but just learn and learn and learn for four years. Um, cause if you can't play, the only thing you can do is train. So, and it was like, you know what, if I can't throw, I can at least get after in the weight room. So that's where I think those four years was just a deep dive into that type of stuff. So I ended up wanting to go there, train myself. Um, so I ended up having, ended up having a really good first half of the year. And then same thing, the elbow, the nerve had had enough. And, uh, right before the season started, kind of right before all that COVID stuff hit, couldn't, I couldn't throw. And so I missed the right before the COVID year. So that, that threw off all my ability to sign or, or anything like that. I just decided it wouldn't be best. Um, didn't know what was going to happen with the COVID stuff. So I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to do what I do best and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to come back. I'm going to find the problem. I'm going to fix it. And then I'm going to go get better. And it's kind of what I've been doing. Decided not to go back for my last year of eligibility, just with all the injuries, had had more eligibility. Um, but I just thought the best thing to do for me was just to be to finish finish my master's online and kind of just learn and train myself as well as uh, learn and train train other guys. Um, but I would just say throughout that, that's probably my mountain. It was a long four, four and a half, five year mountain, but. Um, I mean, I'm pretty thankful for it, for everything with it. Just like, I'm, I'm pretty proud of my story. I think like it's, it's not really close to over and, and like whenever it does end, like I, I really learned a lot and like it really pushed me to be 
someone that I, I probably not, I didn't picture myself being like halfway through high school, um, without many types of, uh, challenges, like kind of, kind of being able to roll over a lot of stuff in high school compared to being thrown the kitchen sink in college. Um, but when you're, when you're kind of thrown that, like that's, that's where the growth comes, right? Like that's where the learning comes. And I think just emotionally, um, physically, mentally, um, just, I think the ability for me to overcome things, I, I wouldn't kind of trade that for anything. Um, so just through college, like just diving into explosive mechanics, my guy, Jared Bidney trained, trained me. I mean, I call him, I call him all the time still to this day. I go home, train with him. Um, Ben Brewster with trade athletics. I don't know if you know him. Um, I ended up being roommates with him one summer by chance. And he, he has mentored me a lot. Um, he's, he's helped me kind of form some, some things and some principles that I follow in terms of training and throwing and, um, <clears throat> driveline, obviously can't talk pitching development without driveline. I actually came across Kyle's stuff, Kyle Bodie, the guy who started driveline, came across it halfway through high school, maybe my sophomore, junior year. And I reached out to him. This is before it's, I mean, he probably had a couple thousand Twitter followers, maybe. Um, he was just a, a guy running a facility in Seattle who was writing really good blogs, really good training blogs. Just, I mean, just made common sense. Like just, you see things and you're like, you know what, that, that does make sense. Um, uh, like it doesn't take a, doesn't take a rocket science to figure some of this stuff out. It just takes critical thinking, which a lot of people just seem to lack. And I think I messaged him and then we start talking and then, um, they kind of helped me training a little bit in high school. And then I ended up going out there. And I, when I went out there one time for about a, it was about a summer, maybe six weeks stint. I met so many guys that have been pretty influential in my career. Uh, one of my roommates, Ian Walsh right now, who I'm living with and, and coaching with right now, training guys with, uh, he's brilliant. Uh, Rob Hill, Eric Jagers, uh, just so, so many guys who just have just really good ideas. Um, so a lot of those guys, um, I think just that my knowledge has really come from just a deep dive and push from being hurt and, and having to train myself. Like if you, if you get your left arm cut off, you better be an expert. You better be twice as good with your right arm as everybody else is because you're going to need it twice as much. So I think that's kind of how, how my uh, mindset and stuff has kind of developed over time and why it developed. Yeah. That's um, awesome. That, that That's where Every coach, it seems like, I mean, it's always not a good situation to get injured multiple times, but right. what that allows you to do is to go through the injury pathway, which is like, there's so many coaches yeah. that haven't even gone through the pathway. And then now, now you are taking pieces like, Oh, that was good training. That was good. Yeah, exactly. That was shit, you know, like, and you get yeah, to see both sides of it. You get um, what was good, like what was useless, what was useful. And then even to this point now, like I would say I've learned things over the past year uh, with, um, through just talking to Grant Fowler a little bit, talking to Brady Volmering with Dak, who I, who was that? It was me, Brady and Ben Brewster were roommates all in this little apartment for, uh, for about a month. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just that's awesome. Weird, just small world. But that, that, those were the type of guys that like, that's what I'm talking about is guys like that, just kind of pioneers and thinkers and, and guys who weren't ready to just kind of settle with the status quo. But I would say like, really a lot of things with Brady over the past year and kind of the mindset stuff as I've really, I, I look back on some things I did in college and I'm like, dang it. 
Like if you would have done this, like if you just would have done this or this or this, and it, I mean, it is what it is. Like I, I had to learn somehow, but um, like I, I wouldn't say that like, I mean, they were, it's, it's hard because it's not a black and white thing, right? Like it's, you, you see some guy who, some guys stood, stayed healthy. He wasn't doing it right either. And I got hurt and I was training really hard and maybe I didn't do everything. Like it, it's not, it was not black and white. So I didn't do everything hundred percent. Right. But neither did this guy who actually stayed healthy. Like that was just the, you, if you're doing something at such a high level, like high level athletics, like there is a risk of injury, no matter how you train or what you do. Um, and so um, I think sometimes when I look at the things that I've learned now, I can get frustrated, but it's also like that, you know what, that, that's one was just the hand I was dealt. And if you're sitting there worrying about the past then it's like, where, where's the, you're not, you're not taking that mental energy into like how it can be used now with the, with the current athletes you have or with your own career or in the future. So overall, I mean, I'm proud of the, of the mountain I've started to climb up. Hopefully I'm on the, hopefully I'm over the tip top of it, but I know there'll be plenty of challenges in life as a husband and a father that are, that are going to be just as challenging. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for it all, but um, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of how I got into training, I guess is, is kind of that. When that story you right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Cause, and you, you mentioned your own athletes and how you like the, the blessing that is you're able to apply to your own athletes. And that's where I want to take it and in, into kind of the, what of the podcast and the sports performance side of the podcast is you have this entire winding journey. You and you, we, we talked about how you got to see the good side, the bad side, you got to go through the psychological part of the injury right. of being an athlete. Like that's so big that a lot of coaches don't talk about. And now you get to draw all that into your program and working with your right. athletes and one of the, one of the things that like drew me to you is like, it looks like you create just badass humans, which is something that I, I love. Like I, I love doing, like I, I just, I geek out about that. Like if you create a badass human, they're going to go on their field. They're going to kick ass right. step off their field. They're going to kick ass, you know, like, and that should be our entire goal. So I'm interested then tying this question together. What does your program look like? What are your kind of main principles that you're looking to do? How are you kind of doing this? How are you tying together that explosive mechanics and the, the, the weightlifting side of it, that foundational piece of the background with all of the other things that you've grabbed from and thrown together into what your program is today. Yeah. So I, I think the big, the first thing I think is like the foundation of it, like is the intentionality portion of it, like the culture, the intentionality environment, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, I think I've learned it just from probably first through lifting, but you get under, you get two athletes. Um, we see this back home. Normally when we squat at home, we use, we box squat and we'll tend to them and we're not doing speed work. I mean, we're doing heavy 85, 95% work and you're, you're trying to move it as fast. As you, I mean, you might move 90% at a, a 0. 0.6. Like people would be shocked. Like it's way too fast. It's not 90%. Um, and just the intentionality of cranking up the mute, like we would just crank up the metal and we would push the bar as hard as we could. And I think that really applies to everything. Like just the intentionality of like, how bad do you want it? Like, do you want to get after it? Like, I don't care if it's a, I don't care if we're working on a rotator cuff exercise and we're just isolating the external rotators and we're using a five pound dumbbell. Like, do you have the intentionality to sit there and rotate from the shoulder at the right tempo and, and just focus, like get off your phone. Like I, I, I mess around with the kids, like the guy at home's like, 
it was like, get off the cancer device. Like there's a cell phone, but it's like, dude, how are, like I see kids, kids in the weight room and they got one hand is on their phone and the other hand's doing something. I'm like that. What is that? Like, where's the intentionality to actually like, where's the, the drive to really be, like you said, just to be a badass. Like if you don't have that drive, then you're not going to be that. So that's, I think the first thing beyond all that is just the intentionality of whatever you're doing, just be intentional about it. Like if you're going to like recover, then be intentional about recovering, go to sleep, like eat, drink. Like if you're going to be intentional about whatever we're doing, just understand, like you don't have to understand, you don't have to, as the athlete, understand the mechanisms or the reasoning or uh, the science behind any of it. Like that's what I think coaches should be able to do. But the athlete has to be able to have the intentionality of like getting in and wanting to do it and wanting to be better um, in whatever they're doing. So I think the intentionality is the baseline. I think the second part is um, I think the biggest thing is it all, I think everything, everything uh, goes back to strength. Um, So like people will be like, Oh yeah, well, I go lift, but like, I'm not staying loose and flexible and mobile. I'm like, do you even know what mobility is? Mobility is essentially just like you, you can't touch your toes because your hamstrings don't have strength in that range of motion past a certain point. Um, like, it's not like your hamstrings are actually shorter than his hamstrings. Like there is a, your body is just protecting itself. So I think like part of me in my head, I don't really think of everything as like, Oh, I need to do, I don't really like to divide it up in terms of like, I need to do this work and I need to do my mobility work and I need to do my corrective work and I need to do my plyometric work. It's just like, I need to train. Like we need to train. Like that's the mindset of just kind of training versus like thinking everything of these sequential uh, pieces, this like kind of cause and effect mindset of like, well, I did my lifting, but if I don't do my mobility corrective work, like I won't be able to perform. And that was a big thing for me in college. I think where it's like, I need to do, these corrective exercises or else I'm not going to be able to play. And really, if, if your training is set up optimally, like it should, you shouldn't need a bunch of corrective exercises. You should be ready to perform kind of whenever. Um, I think, I think Grant Fowler had a post on that a while back where he said something like if walking up to 85 to 90% of your one rep max and hitting it raw, like no warm up, kind of cold scares you, uh, like really scares you, then you kind of need to reevaluate how you're training. And I think that really opened my eyes a lot because I was the guy who maybe needed like an hour to get ready to box squat. Like I needed to do 30 minutes of hip mobility. I needed to jump. I needed to do da 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 da. Versus now it's like I, I walk in and hit it. Like that's fine. Um, but I think I built that over time. I built the body, at least myself. I've changed my training a little bit to build the body that can do that. And so in terms of like programming type of stuff, um, I really like like the conjugate type of the conjugate, I guess you call it conjugate training or uh, method concept, whatever. Um, and this, this has probably been influenced a lot. I mean, started from Louis Simmons who taught it to uh, explosive Jared Bidney at explosive mechanics. And I've kind of tailored that um, combined with some of Grant Fowler stuff and um, Brady stuff in terms of how I see things. So I think like 
in terms of like the training structure, I like the idea of the barbell. Like if you've seen, like you see these podcasts now and you see these posts where it's like the barbell is being demonized. Like you better not squat or else you're going to mess up your gait or like whatever. And it's like, well, I've seen box squats take kids from six flat 40 or six, yeah, six flat 40s to four, seven, four, eight, forties, laser. Uh, so I, like, I'm just, at the end of the day, when you see things work consistently over time, that's much more important to me than what someone with a super high certification says. Um, so I like barbell loaded stuff, heavy and fast, like max effort, but it's, I guess it's kind of like compensatory acceleration training. Um, so it's really heavy and it's, moving at, at maximal speeds. And I think for a lot of beginner athletes, they don't need as much variation in those. Like they, they need, like, let's say we, we have our, our athletes that I'm training at a prep school right now with, with Ian Walsh called combine Academy. So we, we got, I don't know, let's say 30 pitchers. Like, I, I don't know how many of those guys can even bench over 200 pounds, like maybe three of them. So I'm going to, I'm going to let them just bar, just straight barbell bench, like during their, on their upper body days. Like I, I'm not going to give them, I'm not going to kind of rotate their main lift in terms of like maybe giving them incline or giving them floor press or all these things. I think those are maybe more of accessory type stuff that you can build on. But I think the mean potatoes of giving a, giving a kid a heavy load and having to move it really fast is really, really important just for general force production um, getting the nervous system to fire. I just, I like it. I like combining that with some plyometric stuff. Um, at home, we would start, uh, with the, we call them dumbbell jumps, but they're just, they're just loaded jumps and kind of the overload underload method. Like, just like with throwing, we'd use the overload underload method for jumping. And it was, it was definitely like a concentric power type jump. Like it's, it's definitely not super elastic. Uh, it's load up and jump, but we do stuff like that. We do depth jumps. I like supersetting that with your max effort work. Uh, and then going into the accessory work, I think is where you can kind of make a lot of money and where the intentionality thing comes in. Cause like too many people, like it's, it's, I can say it's easy, but it is easy to focus a lot more if you got 400 pounds on your back to squat it than if you got like a 10 pound dumbbell in your hand, right? Like, it's just like, you have to, or else you're going to get, you're going to die. And so the accessory stuff I think can be really tailored to each individual athlete based on their weaknesses. Uh, I kind of compare it to a car. So like with the main, the main lifts, you're building that horsepower. Like you're really building the engine, um, the plyometrics, you're teaching the engine to go, uh, you're teaching it to go fast. And then with the accessory work is kind of where you upgrade the parts. You upgrade each individual part. It's kind of how I think about it. Um, everyone's got weak links like that. That's kind of what a lot of stuff I've learned from uh, Brady is just finding the weakest link and then training the heck out of it. And um, especially Brady, as, Brady will make you train it for 15 minutes straight. Yeah. 15 yeah. minutes straight, And it's more mental than it is physical. I haven't given that to the, to the kids yet, but um yeah. So that's, I guess in terms of training, that's, that's kind of how I would structure my program in terms of like how I kind of program guys. And then I guess in terms of just programming and 
in theory, I just like to be able to be an extreme athlete, you got to be able to do extreme things and get in extreme positions. Right. So I've been had, like, I was having trouble with, uh, in layback of the throw. So I've just started training the heck out of that. Like in terms of like, I mean, layback, that's your arm going into external rotation is a crazy position. Like most people don't watch baseball, see it and they get all freaked out. Like how's your shoulder out there? Well, I mean, the body adapts. It's what it does. So if you progressively overload it, it's going to adapt. Um, so I guess with myself, I maybe do a little bit more experimental type stuff. Um, just to, you got to find what works. Like there's, there's no better than, I think there's what we say here is that the only rule is that it has to work. Then it doesn't matter if it looks stupid. Doesn't matter if someone else doesn't think it works, who's, society thinks is smarter. It just has to work and give results. And I don't know like how many people even care about results versus how many people like care that like their friends think they're working hard or they're like Snapchat friends or their Instagram that they're on their story working hard. Because I guess we, we, I go home and see uh, Jared at explosive putting out 40 after 40 and then having different people leave. And it's like, I mean, he's not a salesman. That's not what he's there to do, but like he's getting, he gets results. And it's the same thing. Like if, if you're getting results, I don't know how that just doesn't attract everyone. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you, if you feel that way yourself, but. Yeah, well, that's, I want to take, first I want to talk about, uh, we'll talk about results and then I want to take, I want to dive into this attention piece with you. Cause I want to know how you get to it. Cause I, I geek out about this. I'm deep in the right. toe to spend the thing, but the results thing, this is one thing that I was like, you have kind of the Joel like Seedman side of things where it's like, there's fucking like probably zero results there, but <laughs> phenomenal marketing. And then you have the, the Jared side of things. Phenomenal like, marketing with just, he's, he's marketing to freaks. So it's like, you get an NFL running back. It's like, of course he's a good athlete. He's an NFL running back. You didn't make him one. Exactly. And then you, you have guys like back, whether he showed up at your facility or whether he did a hundred pushups a day, like Herschel Walker did. Yeah. And then you have the other side of things where it's like the Jared, where it's like the, you, you, you have the results, but like, there's no marketing. It's like, you almost have to find the, the middle ground of like, where, yeah. are you, where are you able to sell your soul enough where you're yeah. still, where you're still. Yeah, that's what I, that's potatoes. being young and seeing different people. And, and I've been talking a lot with, with Ian and another guy about this. It's like, where do you, like, I don't, I don't want to be the sellout ever. Like, I don't ever want to just sell out to train a bunch of people for something where I'm like, no, nah, I think this, like, I don't want to stop learning. Like if you, I, there just is, it seems to be this thing where if you sell out, then you just sell out all your time for money and you don't have any time for learning. Like you're done learning. Your learning time's over. Your methods are your methods. Your recipe is your recipe. It works. It doesn't work. Like it doesn't matter. Marketed to enough people. I went. So that stuff pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. That, dude, I've, I've thought about that for a long, long time. It's like, cause it's, it's every, and you have to think of this, how I think about it and messes me, my head up a little bit more too. It's like every person that's established now was a rebel at one point, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah. where did, where did that switch happen? I, I had a conversation with my buddy about this today. So it's bringing back some flashbacks. It's like, how do you, how do you know when you're, you're becoming the sellout now like when does that yeah. transition happen do you do you understand that you're no longer the rebel no, i don't you're... think you know i think i think which scares the shit out of me yeah yeah continue to be the rebel and not yeah 
So yeah. All right. Bringing this back. I want to, I want to get into the intention piece with you um, because I think this is something that, I mean, I'm reading Joe Dispenza's book right now and going through a lot of his um, videos that he talks about it. The uh, how to break the habit of being yourself. Okay. I think it's the second one. Maybe the third one. No, he he mentions his previous book in it, but uh, that intention piece and trying to bring something really alive in a session and then the, the focus that goes behind it. That's something that I, I think is so undervalued, not talked about at all in our field. We'll talk sets and reps right. and we'll argue that all fucking day. And it's right. like, none of that matters uh-huh. if, if that piece isn't there. So how are you going about that as a coach, creating a culture in which like the athlete understands, like they get what you're trying to get at. You're, you're, you're putting it in a way that makes sense to them. Cause I think this is a big conversation piece that we, we need to have more. It's like, how do you yeah. create that intention in your session itself? Yeah, I think like it is hard because like the dis- like dispenser stuff. Like I finally caved and started getting into it. Brady got me into it. Uh, I I tried like two or three times. Tried to meditate. Tried to do it. I'm like, I can't do this. Like I I can't. Like I can't. I could not lock in. I could not just like be nothing and just create. And when I kind of thought about it a little more, I was like. That's what I used to do in high school. I would just sit up in my room. I'd have, I'd literally bring my glove up and I would just, I would be nothing. I'd be nothing and create and go through, like, I just play a whole game of baseball. Like I'd pitch a whole game and I would, I'd lose time. I'd do it for two hours. I'd, I'd be sweating. And I was like, that's, that's it. That was what I was doing. I was literally creating the person that I would be on the mound. Like I wasn't, been in his room anymore i was like just in another world dude that's and, all i'm gonna talk to you for a little bit because that's amazing because i just talked about this on the story because I, I read i'm reading his book right now i'm halfway through i'm like holy fuck that's what i did without even thinking about it i was just a yeah. kid i want like i have a, I have a super like a vivid like imagination of that makes sense like i i can see a lot of things in my head i'm uh, and created i would literally walk around with a football and just throw it to myself and be in 100% my own world, scoring touchdowns right. and playing the entire game, just like you mentioned. Yeah. I, and I thought about that today. I was like, that, like that has to be one of the biggest reasons for success in like a career is like right. being able to do that. Man, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of mental reps without even thinking about it. Yeah, and I think like you think about it, and it's like it is true. Like your your brain just understands the experience, and if it's really bought into that experience then you're getting your reps in without getting your reps in, I guess. But I think it ultimately comes down to like, like kind of like you said, like trying to manifest it with like your current athletes, like, are you bought in? So like with me, I was struggling. Like, I, I think the older you get, you go through things, you almost become less engaged. Like you're less of the kid that you were compared to like me as a high schooler, having these huge dreams and just forgetting about everything and just being in the moment playing a fake game in my bedroom between my bed and my desk. Like, so with training and then with myself, it's like, okay, how can I step back and kind of manifest that person into reality? Um, which is why I think it, it helps me to do that myself. But it's like, if you have a bunch of high schoolers, you're not going to be able to get them to, one, read Joe Dispenza, two, watch a YouTube video of Joe Dispenza, or three, and meditate. Like, I mean, like my girlfriend is a, she plays professional soccer and 
I'm I'm trying to get her, I'm gonna try to get her to do it, but she hasn't quite gotten on it yet. She's probably thinking it's too weird. And, um, I think the big thing is just like I think one is a coach. It's just showing them that you care. Like it, it is true. Like if I, if you really do kind of buy into the height to the I mean I've noticed it with high school kids and the kids they're going into college like. If you really like, you can tell when someone cares versus someone doesn't care. Like you can't fake it for a long period of time. Um, so they can kind of see through the nonsense. Like they can kind of tell if you care or don't care. And I think if you show up consistently and you, you really care, that's, that's going to be like a big thing that gets them. Um, two, I think is like just creating the environment, like an engaging environment. Um, so whether that be like, uh, whether it be just the music, uh, the exercises, like just getting them to buy in to what you're doing. I, I think for me, it's, it's partially worked here because um, they've kind of seen me train, I guess. And then I've done a couple of things that are, that are, that have been pretty crazy or impressive to them. And so they want some, so it's kind of like you, you give, you got to find a way to give somebody a hit. Like you got to get them that hit. And once they get it, like they want more. And so it's like finding a way to get them that hit of the like manifestation type of stuff, but you can't overload them with that stuff. Cause that, that doesn't it, like, that's not engaging to them. Um, that's engaging to us because like, I think as like coaches now we're or just like guys training guys, we want, we, I want to hear like what, Joe Dispenza says about like these glands or like how actually the neuroscience behind it. Cause I'm like, well, it freaking works. Like, let's do it. These kids don't care. Like they, they just want to like have fun and be like, just, they want to achieve like their dreams, like whatever that is. And so finding like understanding kind of what they want and then finding a way to get them that hit, um, whether that be like testing and, and really showing improvements or something like that. Like we would, we would have test weeks at home. Like we'd have big jump days. Like that was our thing. Like we'd have, um, on lower body days, certain days a week, we'd, we'd have vertical jump testing. It could go on. I mean, we would vertical, we'd jump max effort jump for over an hour, hour and a half. You're like, Oh, you can't, you can only jump 15 times max effort or it's overtraining. It's like, no, nah, we're jumping with 30 pound dumbbells as, as hard as we could for an hour and a half with blasting music and we were coming back later in the week and still squatting 90%. Like, I mean, it, we talked about a little bit about like rotational athletes, but you're talking about the best like rotators. It's like, it's not the guy who goes and does three sets of six of like med ball shot puts with like the right weight. It's like, I'd take the, the farmer who bails 300 bales a hay a day. Like it's three, he's getting 300 reps. Like, but his engagement of like, he's not worried about like his form or anything. He's engaged in the purpose of it. Like he better do it to make money or to, to accomplish the task. So I think the big thing is like finding like the, the farmer has to accomplish the task. So that's what he wants, I guess. I mean, I'm kind of just thinking out loud here. So with the kids, it's like, we'll find out kind of like what they want, be able to give them a hit of it. Like for us at home, it was like, well, we wanted the best vertical. So when you saw your vertical go up, you could bet that we were cranking up the music louder and we were listening to more three, six mafia and we were trying to jump higher and it ended up working. 
Like you, like people look at it and be like, that's overtraining. It's like, no, there's no such thing as overtraining if you're engaged to pass that point, if that makes sense. Overtraining happens, I think, when you get disengaged. I mean, 100%. I guess Olympic, like maybe Olympic athletes, maybe Olympic athletes, you're training 40 hours a week, but it's like, yeah, they're training 40 hours a week doing the same BS, traditional BS. And like, of course, you're going to get overtrained. Like they're disengaged. You're doing the same, like different, you're doing all these rep schemes. Like it doesn't matter. Like get them engaged. Well, I, I, I talk about that all the time, man. It, it's like you watch a guy, you, you say the same shit, like the jumps. Like uh, there's one guy that he, really, he, for some reason, he when he came here, he couldn't even do a cartwheel. And this one day he was just feeling himself <laughs> and he wanted to do a front flip. And that day he sent 51, we had 51 on camera. We had a live camera going, 51 on huh. camera. He probably did 25 before, but eating shit, full effort sprints into it, like full jumps trying to get it done. But it's like the same exact thing. He did that for literally an hour because he was trying to like the engagement. He wasn't sore yeah. after. It wasn't like he was dying. It was like every time he got, he, he ate shit, he got back up and he sprinted around and did it again. Wow. So that That's, I totally like create that environment where that's encouraged. Like, I think that's so huge. That's something I've yeah. been seeing is like, all right, you, you, you feel what's happening there. And the sports scientist is going to cut that off at 15 reps. Whereas right. like, if you're looking at it from the sense that you and I are talking about, it's like, we should encourage the fuck out of that. Like, what are they ratting yeah, onto? Whoa, right. Exactly. And then give them the beans. Like, yes, let's do this for an hour. Like, right. hell yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is you talked about kind of like, getting them to buy in. And this is something I've noticed too, is like, I don't know, I don't want to say making it cool, but it's like the, like them seeing you do stuff. And it's like, they're like, holy shit, this guy's a badass. Like that yeah. instant buy-in. It, it, yeah. That's a huge piece of it. The amount of like, there's so many times where uh, we work with a lot of online athletes or clients and it's like, we give them a program and I fully believe in my program. I fully believe in what we do, but it's like, there's nothing in the program itself that is magic but they'll go through it and they'll they're like, Oh my God, it fixed everything. And it's like bullshit. The program fixed everything. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's yeah, the intent. You fixed everything at the end of the day. Exactly. Your and body can do it. And now it's like, it's just like, it's like, it's, I, I try I talk to it. It's like, it's the placebo effect of like, all right, it's Yoakam strength, you know, all right, it's this program. All right. right. I believe in that. And that's probably the first time in a long time you've had any engagement in your movement in right. whatever you're doing, maybe in your life, you know, like maybe it's that first good, healthy decision you made. Yeah. That, that's where the magic is. And they expand and the more. I've been thinking about this a lot because you get those messages you're like, dude, there's no way this led to that. For, will lead to that. For everybody. It's like, what, what was that? And it's like, it's that intended to me and now reading Joe Dispenza and obviously this like the, the bias of like, I just read it. So I'm going to bring it up a bunch, but it's like, yeah. it's that intention piece for them. You know, it's like the, the, right. they are bought into that now. Yeah, I think that's that's the big thing is like not to like not to be like any any bit conceited at all, but it's just like <clears throat> I go out to the I go out to the field. Well, I I someone's benching. They have 275 on the bar on. I just walk up to a cold, hit it for like five, and then later go just throw the ball like 99 to 100, just pretty casually from the outfield. It's like, oh my gosh, like that. Whatever he's doing, I'm doing exactly that, and it's like. I mean, it's not, it's just like, and then they see all this progress and it's like, it's just because they saw someone else get these huge results and they're like, yes, that's it. And then now it's possible. It's like, yeah, that is it. Like that we're going to do it this way. And I think that's the, that is the thing that really irritates me about the past is like, 
I, for so long was so like, Oh, I need to do, like, I have to do this exercise has to be between like, I need to work at this percentage and it has to be between these reps and I can only do these plyometrics or these jumps. And then I have to do this accessory work. And then it just, I was like, I, like I was, I was getting injured and it was like, maybe I'm not doing the right. Maybe I need this. Maybe I need this. This has to equal this. This has to equal this versus now it's just like, no, like you, you can manifest that within yourself. You can create that. Like your body can do that. It's like, you just have to drive it to do it. And so as coaches, it's like, we can help drive the, like a high school kid is not going to really be able to drive himself to it, but we can kind of give them a little hit and then nudge them on. And then once they get it, you let them just run with it. Yeah. That's phenomenal coach. That, that, that little rant, like that whole piece right there, that is something that I think we need to talk about way more in the field. And we are talking about not enough. Right. Uh, before we get into the rapid fire rounds, I do want to talk, uh, get into the weeds a little bit with you um, with the spinal engine. I've seen you post about this a couple of times. And I, I realized the other day, I was like, we haven't really covered this. And it's something that I've been really getting into with our QBs recently working with them and trying to train them with some of the stuff that we talked about before the podcast, but interested in having you describe kind of what the spinal engine is to you, how you go about training it and working how it, maybe it's not being trained or worked in a, in the traditional way. And then how we can take some of the traditional things that you're doing in the rotational athlete baseball world and apply it to that kind of QB world. Because we, you and I talked before and it's like, right now it's like either the QB is trained, he's just fragile and not, he's not doing anything or he's trained like uh, maybe an offensive line. Maybe they have him squat or do something, but it's like, seems to me like you're missing a whole, any, any arm action. Like you're not doing any throwing with them. You're not doing any rotational piece with them. Maybe you'll throw a couple of med balls, but you're missing. It seems like you're missing a lot. And I, I, I'm just interested spinal engine and how you, how you would funnel all that down into kind of the QB world. Yeah. So I, I guess the first thing of like what the spinal engine is, is uh, it's, it's really just how the body drives locomotion. So you would think you ask Joe Schmo on the street, Hey, how does your body like get from point A to point B? Like, how do you move? Like, Oh, my legs, my legs push me there. And pretty much what the spinal engine is, is it's, uh, the idea of the theory. I'm going to, I'm going to just look at this. I, I pulled it up by Serge Grakovetsky. Um, pretty much that the spine is the engine that drives reciprocal motion and human locomotion. So it's the only thing I'm going to read. I'm just going to kind of spit off the rest of it, but I think it's, it's really just that if you look, you could look at someone, there's a, there's a, a sweet video of a guy who he doesn't have any legs. So he's got hips, no legs, and he's able to walk completely like from point A to point B and you watch him from behind and you can just see his spine kind of snake in like a 3d motion. And really from there, you're able to derive that if the legs were the true driver of motion, this guy wouldn't be able to move, right? So the action of the spine flexing and extending um, combined with the side bend um, with the pelvis kind of creates that locomotion of, of motion. Um, you can think about it. You can kind of just stand there and, and either think about putting your lat in your back pocket and then putting your other lat in your back pocket and just little dance move. Kinda, yeah. You can kind of feel it. And I, I know it's kind of crazy. Like I, I actually, I hate to say it, but like I, before I even knew officially what the spinal engine was, I was definitely like, 
doing some spinal engine work, like all on the, all in the dance floor of fraternity formals in college. But it's, it's just like too many people think of like this idea of like, Oh, you got to throw with your legs. It's like, no, like you, your trunk, like you need your trunk and your pelvis. Like that's what's key. Um, the, there's a guy here. He's a, he's a doctor of physical therapy, but he's, he's really just a rehab guy and used to be a strength coach added to the rehab piece. His name's Nevin Markle. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. One of the smartest guys I've ever come across. And he did a whole presentation on, on the spinal engine and with throwing specifically. And it just talks about how um, the most important piece of the puzzle is, is the pelvis and the spine. So you've got to be able to flex and extend the spine and you've got to be able to side bend. If you can do those really well, then you can throw the ball really well and you can move really well. You can run really well. Um, so ultimately that's, I guess what the spinal engine is in theory, um, how we really train it. Um, I feel like is, is pretty like baseball players, pitchers, quarterbacks. Like if, even if you're a position player, like to swing the bat, like that's rotational, like golf swing, like I'm a right, let's say I'm a right-handed hitter swinger. Like I have got to side bend and load that lat. Like that's the, that's going to be the, the first move. Like you're, you're loading your side bending. Um, so I, I like to train that with, a, I do a lot of side bend work. Um, I, I really think that side bending is, is really the unlock, like the QL, the obliques, um, you've got to be able to side bend. Um, you've got to be able to flex and extend the spine. Um, too many people, they completely like we sit at our, we sit all day. We look at our phones all day. Um, you ask someone to extend their back, like roll their back up and you'll watch their mid, their low back will roll. They'll hit a spot in their mid back and it'll just go completely flat. They won't be able to extend it all. And then they'll, they'll jerk up from the neck. So if you can't flex and extend your spine, you're not really going to be able to get everything out of that movement, right? Cause throwing is ultimately just the transfer of energy up the chain. So it's coming up each individual spine segment out the shoulder, out the arm, into the hand, out the ball. So if you can't segment that spine, you're missing, you, you're not going to be able to, to transfer energy up the chain as well. So we do a lot of, um, we do a lot of like just general spinal quote unquote, like mobility work, but it's really just kind of like spinal isometrics, whether it be aldoas to kind of decompress the spine. Um, we think of aldoas as like spinal stretching, I guess, for people out there, like you're, you're thinking about really kind of pulling the spine apart, um, with your own force. Like you're actively, um, contracting the muscles around the spine to try and lengthen it. Um, so we do a lot of those with guys who, who really can't segment very well. We do some stecco manipulation. It's, it's kind of like trigger point stuff, but, um, it has to do with like fascial manipulation. So with guys with really locked up spines, we'll, we'll do some stecco points on the spine, then hit some eldoas to, so you, we like to like, all right, some guys spine bound up stecos really kind of trigger point it eldoas to train the active, their active ability to lengthen out their spine. And then really just like different locomotion things like crawling. Crawling has been, I think crawling is, is crawling is the sickest exercise in the book for me. Like, 
I love crawling. I probably crawl 200 to 300 yards a day. I look like an idiot, but like, and when I say crawling, you're not doing that BS crawling where you're putting a wine glass on your back and trying to balance it. Like the spinal engine is all about the ability to move your spine. So you better move your spine when you crawl. Like you watch a tiger in the jungle, like how smooth does he look? He's so, I mean, he's just rolling. Like he's really smooth. And and those animals are, those are way better athletes than humans are. So, um, I think crawling all crawls like front back side to side, you, you tell a kid to crawl. The big thing that that we, that we like to do is just don't want to over cue kids. Like I don't, I just don't like over cueing them. I want to just break it down the simplest form, give them a goal, give them one or two cues and let them figure it out. And then if we'll reevaluate, if they don't, maybe a couple different ones, but I think just being smooth, like be as smooth as you can be sexy, like crawl sexy, like as weird as that sounds, but, um, we do a lot of crawling. We do a, like, whether it be anything kind of, I'm about to actually put some on Instagram of, of something I kind of made up way back in the day. I was just playing with a PVC pipe and I put it behind my head and kind of locked my elbows. And I think when you do that, you can really, the proprioception of having the bar back there and kind of up in your mid back, you feel your mid back a lot more. So I put it there and then I did just a bunch of side bend, like full side bend, isometric contraction, go the other way. I'd rotate, I'd flex, extend, and I'd do that. And then I would just feel a lot more powerful. And it was totally just a subjective feeling, but throwing wise, I started jumping velo and I really looked a lot smoother in terms of like energy transfer. And that was, this was before I even found out about anything with the spinal engine or anything. And that was, that was a big opener for me. Um, but I, I think the ability to flex, extend and side bend is big. And then the other thing is just having proprioception of the pelvis, right? Like you gotta be able to, I mean, it's micro movements, but it's just the ability to, to just twist and turn, like just, uh, it's, it's tough to explain with words. Like you're, you're sitting in a chair. Lance Wheeler has a core velocity, but I don't know if you've never seen it, but it's, all it is, is just proprioception of the pelvis, like getting the pelvis to be able to rotate <laughs> just a little bit and loading up the hips. Um, so those are two things that I really like to use. I think in terms of, of quarterbacks, like I would love to train quarterbacks. Like I, I'm the best. I am, I am objectively speaking, Baker Mayfield played. Uh, he was an airmail quarterback at Oklahoma is what I heard. He was really good, obviously. I don't think anyone's a better intramural quarterback than myself. So I would love to train quarterbacks. Um, but I would say, like, you look at the best throwers in the world, and they're javelin throwers. And those guys throwing a two-pound spear, uh, throwing 100 yards. I mean, that's, that's unreal. Um, the football is, what, 20-something ounces, right? So I think in terms of – training you would train them very javelin thrower-esque because you've seen javelin throwers they're jacked they are jacked Evan foster is loving this by the way is he i (laughs) big javelin i'm a big javelin guy um so i I would do it the same way like a lot of plyometrics for the upper body like uh, throwing is a plyometric people forget it you're throwing you're making like a baseball guy i make a i'm gonna go make 100 throws or something like that's a hundred it's like somebody being like, I'm going to go jump a hundred times. It's like, Oh my gosh, no, you're not. That's way over. That's over training. It's like, shut up. Like go play basketball. Like you're, you're going to jump a hundred times plus 
why do you think basketball guys, or why do you think high jumpers go play basketball in their off season or, or talk about that being better training than just going and high jumping? I mean, we can get into the engagement piece of that, but, but I would do a lot of upper body javelin type plyometrics, um, a lot of upper body work, a lot of trunk work. Um, obviously you have the athletics, the speed component of football. So I would mix, uh, I would, if I could do it, I would train their lower half, like a running back or a safety, like maybe not an NFL running back. Those guys have absolute tree chunks. Like those guys are huge. Maybe I'd train them like a, like a safety in the lower half. Like they, they gotta be able, they gotta be strong. Um, and then their upper half, I mean, would be just a big combination of full range strength work, um, bodybuilding around the shoulder and elbow joints, just to keep those healthy. Obviously you're, you're taking hits, so you better be able to have some armor around those. Uh, a lot of plyometrics for the upper body, a lot of plyometrics for the lats, a lot of med ball work, one arm, two arm, rotational med ball work. Um, and then a lot of just variability with throwing. Um, like just different, different throwing days, different throwing drills, um, a lot of constraint throwing probably like, Hey, let's, let's see how far we throw from our knees today. Uh, see how far we throw from one knee and see how far we throw from a standstill, all these different things. Um, I think you, you'd use that. Um, you would do it the same way you'd use weighted balls with a baseball player. I mean, the, the baseball's ultimately five ounces. So you have a little bit more room for, I mean, your quarterback, you probably don't want to be going throwing like a, an overload ball for a quarterback, like a six pound ball. I don't know if that's probably the best thing. So that's why I, I do have a three pound football in the gym. Though. You, yeah. I mean, yeah. I throw a three pounder. Heck yeah. yeah the I mean, thing I is even, heavy though. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd even think about throwing a four pounder a little bit, but I think that's where you could probably get a lot more out of like upper body med ball work um, in terms of like pie metrics and actually training the shoulder to really be like a spring. Um, <clears throat> I think if you did that, and you just trained them to be a beast. Uh, I mean, that's, that's where, that's where the money is. Yeah. That, that, that was phenomenal. I like, like the entire ramp from the spinal engine to the rotational athlete with the QB because spinal engine is something I want to touch on there is like, it's not like you, you mentioned all the pieces, but how fast, and this is specifically, I guess, with the football population that I work with, but it's like how fast some of those problems can clear up doing just anything for the spine will yeah. blow your mind, man. Like yeah. oh, the, yeah. even, even if it's simple side bends or like a one we really like to do, it's like both feet up on the bench. And then you get a side dip. You, you bring that hip all the way to down to the ground, take a deep breath in and come back up. Uh, and the, like, the little, like a QL side bridge. Type yeah. Thing. Yeah. And yeah. man, dude, they're, they're so like, they have no ability to go there. Right. Uh, You'd be surprised like, how many guys can't actually side bend the obliques and the QL. And then you bring in the the extension pattern that you're talking about. Like not there, I haven't had a football guy that's came here and has been able to do that like right away. But you you have them crawl. You bring some awareness to that. You you do some sort of like isometrics or just bringing awareness through the movement itself. You load it up a little bit, and it's it's a different human. Like you said, this right. and it's it's tough to like quantify because it's you the, yeah. You it's I don't know how you like, you get a picture of a back bridge or maybe a Simon or something like that, but it's, it's really hard to quantify in terms of like a number, but you sure as heck can tell, like I, you, I have two kids, you line them up side by side. You have one of them crawl. You have the other one crawl right next to each other. One of them looks stiff as a board. And then you watch him hit a baseball and it is so freaking stiff. It's not smooth. The energy transfer is not there. He's strong, but if you're not transferring that energy efficiently, then why the heck did you generate it? Yeah. 
Yeah, dude, I, I geek out about that. We should have we should have started with the spinal injury and we could have ran off for like two hours. Dude, I geek out about the spine. It's it's just something that's like it, it, we we the strength component is is key. And I, I think we all understand that. And that's why, like you, you have an athlete that usually, I should say usually, we also have athletes that come to us like they no training at all. And it's it's some it's a shit show, but some most come with the strength foundation. It's good, but it's like there, there's no such it seems like small things now that they could have been doing that it's like as soon as they do it it's just like they free they, they talk about being free like they feel free yeah. they do things that they couldn't do before and it's like we call it, we call that the unlock the unlock exactly man and it's it's just so yeah it i geek out about that and i was the same way man like i, I herniated a disc herniated a disc in my spine when i was 16 from squatting uh-huh. doing all that and i was told like you'll never deadlift again you'll never do all these things again and for probably four or five years everything in my spine completely locked um yeah. And Dr. Tommy John was the first guy to kind of show me any of the spinal movements. Yeah. And then you added in crawling and everything. And it's like, I, I haven't had a back problem in like a knock on wood, I guess, but and maybe not, maybe spinal flow on wood, but in three years since, like it's yeah. just moving. And it was, it was night and day difference. It was like two weeks. And it's like, I, my back and hips have never moved like this in my entire life. And it took yeah. that long to do that. So it's like, I, I'm passionate about passionate about spine. Yeah, but. I was about to say. I think it's. Uh, I love that stuff. Like, I, I think it's just. It's hard to quantify, like you said, but you you can tell who's smooth on the ground. And then I'd rather just see someone crawl, and then I can tell you right away. Like, guy's pretty. He would be pretty good. This kid's tight as tight as all get out. Like, he's got to learn this. But it's hard. To, like, how are you going to tell a high school kid, "Hey, you don't get to lift today. Like, you got to go do. You got to do 500 yards of crawling. It's like you got to give him a little balance." So. We like to just kind of, I guess, like not set a quote unquote routine, but just like microdose things in. So like microdose a lot of crawling for warmups, uh, microdose like a lot of rotational kind of feel stuff in warmups, um, back bridges, um, just work like that. Just kind of like intermix it. Like I said, it's it's all training. So intermix it with throwing. Like crawl, go like make five throws, go crawl ten yards, go crawl twenty yards make five throws, go crawl backwards, like just stuff like that. Like intermix it, like teach the body to adapt and be, um, I'm trying to think of the word, just be adaptable. I'm trying to think of a good synonym. But yeah. <laughs> but that, yeah. I'm hundred percent on the same page there. That that's, that's awesome. And now we can kind of transition into rapid fire round. And I got two more questions for you. You almost survived this entire podcast. I think we've kind of crushed this right. in here. And the first one is, kind of your favorite books that you want the listeners to check out, read, check out. Um, and it can be in the sports performance world. It can be in life. Like it can be both. You can go either direction with it, but what are kind of your favorite books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of? All right. Uh, not going to go sports performance. I, I honestly read more articles and all that stuff, I guess. Uh, probably a lot more. I, I would say I actually read a lot of different politic books, but I would say Books wise, I think going through everything that I went through, a big thing that was was really good was it's a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, we read that as a football team. Did you? Oh, yep. Absolutely yep. sick. Sweet book. My dad gave it to me. It's awesome. Um, but that that really, I think, encompasses a lot of like just how to handle everything. Um, the ability to perceive things. Um, the ability to act on like actually put into action and then your ability to persevere and will, will yourself through. And those are three foundational principles that are going to get you through everything, uh, hard, easy, whatever in life. Um, like there is no hard, there is no easy. It, it's, it's all just, it is, it's just 
how you perceive it. Um, so I, I love that book kind of like some modern stoicism, I guess, in that book. I, I love kind of that train of thought. Another two of them by, by, uh, Jocko Wilning, uh, the, the leadership, the dichotomy of leadership. And, um, the other one is extreme ownership. Those two, I think Jock, Jocko is a seal. I don't know if you know who that is. Oh I'm yeah. Sure badass. I, was say, I was about to say, how do you, I know you're a little badass. So I'm sure, you know, Jocko. I mean, like I wanted to be a seal in high school really bad. And I actually wanted to be one up and like, almost just wanted to go be a seal instead of rehab TJ. So, um, reading those books was awesome. Um, just because I think the dichotomy of leadership was really good. I don't think many, as many people probably know about that one, but two things can be true at once. So like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be this, or it can be both. And, and the dichotomy of leadership was just a really good book in terms of like applying different principles to life. Um, so those two books, um, I'd be, rem- I'd be, I'd shoot myself. If I didn't get off this podcast and say the Bible, uh, I am, I guess I, I am a Christian, so I really do believe it's the truth. And, and I do think that, uh, I think that, that like, you think it's a book written 2000 years ago and it doesn't apply. And it's like, go read it and see for yourself what's in there. Like whether you believe it or not, like just make the choice to go look at it and decide for yourself and, and just see what's in there. Uh, but I think those are probably the big ones for me. That's a badass group of books right there. Can't really go wrong with yeah. obstacle is the way extreme ownership in the Bible. Those are three hard three people read those throughout their elementary and middle school and like put them in the high school curriculum. Yeah. You're, you're set. You got it yeah, pretty good in terms of life. Exactly. And then the last question on the podcast, and this is when all this coaching stuff is over, all the baseball stuff is over. What do you kind of want your legacy to be? Yeah, I think the legacy things, and it's an interesting question. The, uh, it's something that my dad really talked a lot about. Uh, we, we had, a this, this will, this will sum up everything that my dad kind of, we were about. So he, right before freshman year of high school started, uh, we sat down together late one night, just us two. And we watched Braveheart and I watched Braveheart for the first time as a freshman going into freshman in high school. And it was like a welcome to manhood. Like <laughs> this is his legacy. Like, what do you want yours to be? So that was a big kind of thing. That's been like a big part of, of my life just being pushed from him. And <clears throat> I think like, like there, there is a lot that can be found in like the strength conditioning world in terms of just lessons, right? Like we've learned, we've, I've learned way more off things that I can take off of strength and conditioning and training and performance that I could, put in it. Um, so it's, it's all about impact, I guess. Like why, like at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters, like you can, you could gain the world, but lose your soul. So the only thing that matters is to me is really just about saving souls. And, and I, I think that there, what you do here does echo in eternity, um, as gladiator says. And, and so really at the end of the day, like whether I make it or not, whatever is making it. If I, if I play in the big leagues, if I train a million kids, if I make the most money in the world, like it doesn't matter if you made just a minute or a negative impact on, on people in terms of like, I mean, their physical growth, but also just their spiritual growth, their emotional growth, their, their mental growth, like pushing them to, I mean, people say it all the time, like, Oh, I want to be a good person. Like what is a good person? 
Like actually, like you want you want to be a good person. What is good? Like I mean, I, I believe in an objective standard between good and evil, good and bad. So like I believe that. Um, so I have these standards. So I, I believe that I want to make an impact for people in that way. Like I, I want to, I want at the end of the day, I want to stand before the guy who created the universe and I want him to look at me and say, well done, welcome in. And so I think that's like, I get too worried and too, too whatever about my, my own career or training kids. But at the end of the day, that's what really matters. I think it's important to kind of step back and realize that and, and take that approach into every day. Yeah. That's a badass way to end the podcast. Uh, I was asked on the Q and a today, uh, basically like what, what I think it was like, what motivates you? And it was the Jordan Peterson quote. Um, he, he was talking about how not becoming your fullest potential, not becoming basically, like you said, not being able to stand in front of the person in front of the, who created you and like you fulfilled what you were given. Right not doing that effects you, you took your you you turned it to 10x like you you made it tenfold like you took you took the talents he gave you and you multiplied them and you made the world a better place with it rather yeah. than a worse place yeah, yeah. which uh, I, I geek all about that so that was awesome coach thank you thank you for being on the podcast it's phenomenal i think you and i ranted really really well tonight it was 11 p.m here i think it's 10 p.m for you so this is awesome thank you for being on yeah thanks for having me boom thank you guys for listening keep chopping wood Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.